The reading is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Thanks, Mary. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Um, Before we start properly, I'm going to pray in a minute, but before we start, I was just really struck as we worshipped together this morning, just how me-centric a lot of the songs that we sing are. Like, so far, and this is no disrespect to the band, you've done a great job this morning, uh, but so far we have sung about my wrestling and my doubts. We have sung about how I'm going to sing in the middle of a storm. You're going to hear my praises roar. We've sung about how I'm going to think on the sacrifice. I am going to pour out my life. 
Whereas actually today, what we're doing is we're starting a new sermon series about encounter with an almighty God. And the reality is it's not about me. It never has been about me. But it's all about him. So before we get into the sermon, I'm going to invite you to stand again. And we're just going to sing a very simple chorus. You know it. The words probably won't come up on the screen. So I've only just landed this on Becky. I haven't landed it on our tech team. So don't worry at the back. We're just going to sing together, How Great Is Our God. And even this isn't perfect, because it speaks about my heart singing, How Great Is Our God. But I just want to lift up the name of Jesus in this place and focus our eyes, fix our eyes on the God who is worthy, because it's not about me. It's all about him. So let's worship before we come to the words this morning. great Lord God you are worthy to be praised there's a holy moment right here 
give you the praise and the glory for you alone are worthy. May we have an encounter with you this morning. King of kings and the Lord of lords, may we meet with you. Open our ears, open our hearts to what you might say to us in this moment right now. May we go from this place this morning, King Jesus changed, because we have met with the risen Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you for being accommodating this morning. And we'll come round to the word of God now. And Mary has read our scripture for us this morning, and we are starting a new sermon series together today. And I've got to be honest, since returning from my sabbatical, this is probably the sermon series that I've been most excited about preaching. Because one of the words I believe God gave to me while I was off over those three months is that as a church, we need to create space for encounter. We need to create space where we can meet with God, that we don't just have our heads filled with information, we don't just go through the motions, but ultimately we meet with him and then are changed because of his presence with us. You see, whether we like to admit it or not, often the very act of coming to church can become a little bit of a ritual for us, can't it? Something that we simply do Sunday by Sunday. We don't necessarily believe what's going to happen in this place each week is going to impact us that much. And perhaps we don't come along here on a Sunday with the expectation of meeting with God at all. I'll never forget one of the first conversations I had with one of my leaders as I started at my last church in Honiton. The church that I started at was dying out. It was about 20 people when we arrived. And by the grace of God, God did some great things and we saw some great things happen. And the church become a place of flourishing and thriving. But I remember just a week or two in speaking to one of the leaders of the church and saying to them, tell me, what is it that brings you to church Sunday by Sunday? And they said to me, well, Luke, coming to church each Sunday for me is a good opportunity to get up and have a shave on a Sunday morning. And now we might hear something like that and we might think that's absolutely outrageous to say something like that. But I wonder even though we might not articulate that our reason for coming to this place is having a shave on a Sunday morning and look at some of the faces this morning, it's definitely not the reason you get up and have a uh, come to church on a Sunday morning. Are our reasons really any better? Do we just come to this place because it's something that we do each week? Or do we genuinely come here expecting to meet with the God who created the universe? You see, the problem with coming to church out of ritual, is eventually we realize that ritual alone doesn't meet our deepest longings, desires, and needs. So when something like a global pandemic comes along, for example, and you can't attend church in person any longer, you realize you don't really miss it. That's why For some people who are attending church weekly pre-2020, now they're in maybe a rhythm of attending church once every month. That's why there are a number of Christians who are faithfully committed to coming along to church week by week before the pandemic, who are not only not coming to this church, but not going to any church whatsoever right now. Ritual alone won't sustain our walk with the Lord. It's only 
in genuine encounter with him that brings depth to relationship and intimacy with the Almighty? Do you believe you're going to meet with God as we come together in this place today? And with that in mind, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some significant encounters that people had with God in Scripture and looking at what we can learn about our own encounter with God and allowing space for us to meet with Him. So I'd encourage you over the next few weeks to make church and come in to this place a priority as we gather because I believe God wants to do some big things among us and meet with us in some very powerful ways over this time. And to help us, we're going to start this morning by looking at this account of Moses. If you have been in church and around church for any length of time, you probably know this story inside out, upside down, and back to front. Moses at the burning bush. You'll know the story that at the time where Moses was born, Israel were enslaved in Egypt. You'll know that a decree had been given that all new Israelite boys who were born were to be killed to stop Israel getting any bigger and becoming a threat to Egypt. You'll know that Moses was hidden and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and he was taken and raised as her own and then raised in the court of royalty. You'll know that at the age of about 40, Moses commits murder when he sees an Egyptian being really unjust to the Israelite people. And he then spends the next 40 years of his life hiding and working as a shepherd. Now, as a side note, that really encourages me right at the beginning of this today because as a man who is about to turn 40 next year, it tells me I don't have to have my life completely figured out by this point in my journey. That there might be things in my life that I thought might have happened up until this point which haven't happened yet and haven't come to pass and that's okay because God knows what he is doing. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you are approaching the age of 80. And if you're approaching the age of 80, what we know from this story and what we see from this story is actually the most significant parts of Moses' story didn't start until he reached the age of 80. God hadn't finished with him in his old age. And that tells us this morning that no matter what, God has not finished with you yet either. We pick up the account of Moses today where he was attending to the flock of his father-in-law in Midian. And he sees the angel of the Lord appear at the burning bush. Now, whenever we read the term, the angel of the Lord, in Scripture, many scholars believe that this is a theophany. That is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. We learned from our series in the book of Colossians that Jesus was before all things, that he was in all things, that he holds all things together, and he created all things. In other words, Jesus' life did not start at his birth in Bethlehem, that he has always existed, he has always been there, he has always been active, he is the one who created the entire world, and therefore, when we look at the Old Testament, Testament, what we see are points where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. And we see that happening in several different places. For example, if we were to look together this morning at Genesis chapter 22, we would see Abraham asked to sacrifice the son who he loved. And he was obedient to God, and he went to sacrifice his son, and just as he was about to do it, we read these words. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. We see the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus, stopping the sacrifice, knowing that one day he would pay the ultimate sacrifice and pay the ultimate price for the world. Then later, if we were to look at the story of Moses a bit further on, we see the angel of the Lord appearing again, leading the people out of Egypt. So we read this in Exodus 14 and verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. The angel of the Lord led the people out of slavery to freedom, knowing that one day he would lead all people who trust in him from the slavery of sin to freedom in him. What we see together today as we open up our passage and we look at this incredible account of Moses at the burning bush are a number of truths about how God meets with his people and a number of lessons about how we can encounter this awesome, holy, wonderful, majestic God for ourselves. And the first thing that I really want us to see this morning as we think about this passage is simply this. The God of the entire universe the God who created everything with just a word, knows you intimately. Verse 4 says this, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Seven times in Scripture do we see God calling someone by name, and repeating their name as he does. He does it to Abraham, as we just heard. He does it to Jacob. He does it here to Moses. He does it to Samuel. He does it to Martha. He does it to Simon Peter. And he does it to Saul. And in Hebrew, when a person's name is repeated like this, it's an expression of intimacy. Some may pretend to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, for example, but it's not really there. That's why we read in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And this, right here, is what makes encounter over ritual so important. Because on the outside, we can look like we're doing all the right things. You can show up to church from time to time. You can give to the offering. You might even be serving in the life of the church in some capacity. But unless it's done out of a place of relationship with a God who knows us intimately, what actually is the point in what we do? Moses was in the desert one day and he was tending to the flock of his father-in-law when he saw a bush in the distance which was burning but didn't burn up. He was intrigued by what he saw and then he heard the voice of God say, Moses, Moses, do not come any closer but take your sandals off 
Because the place where you stand right now is holy ground. In that moment, Moses has an intimate encounter with the Almighty God. But here's the great news today. We have an opportunity to be even closer to God than Moses did. In truth, there was nothing special about that plot of desert in the Arabian desert where Moses stood. What made it special at that moment was God's presence was there. And in Moses' day, this was literally the closest you could come to being in the presence of God. But today, because of Jesus, because he lived and he died and he rose again, because he ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, we are made holy because we can have his presence within us. Friends, today, if you feel lonely, if you feel abandoned, if you feel isolated by this world and things which are going on, you may feel like no one cares for you at times. If that is you right now, you can know a God who is closer than you could ever possibly imagine if you open up your heart to him today. So what do we learn from Moses' encounter for us today about a God who wants to be close? The first thing that I think we learn about this God and the encounter that he has is that God sees. Verse 7, we read this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt for years. The Israelites have been enslaved, they've been oppressed, they've been mistreated at the hands of the Egyptians. These were God's chosen people, people through whom the line of Jesus would eventually come and the Savior of the world would be born. And in the midst of their plight, in the midst of their heartache, in the midst of the pain that they faced, it would have been incredibly easy for them to think God's not even bothered. He's forgotten us. He's just left us here to rot. But what we learn from our reading today is that God does see. When things are at their hardest, when it feels like no one can quite understand what we are going through, he understands our pain. I love the picture that we see painted for us in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6, where after Jesus has fed the 5,000, he goes up onto a mountainside to pray. And as he goes up onto the mountainside to pray, what happens is he looks out over the lake and he sees his disciples in a boat and they're straining at an oar. They're struggling at the oar. Jesus sees what is going on and eventually, as a result, he goes to them and we know the story that he walked on water to meet them. Sometimes it's easy in life to find ourselves in a place where we think no one really understands what I'm going through. But God sees God sees you right now. Where you are, the circumstances in life that you face, he knows what you're going through and he understands your fight. But more than that, the next thing we learn about the God from this encounter and who we can encounter is that he also hears as well. Verse 7 again, we read these words, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. Often, The reason we cry, the reason tears fall, is because it feels like hope is lost. It feels like we are in despair, that we have fear, that we are sad. And we don't necessarily at those times have the vocabulary to articulate the pain that we face. 
There's this amazing story in Scripture of a man called Hezekiah. You can read about him for yourself in 2 Kings chapter 20 and verses 1 to 5. He's told by a prophet named Isaiah that he needs to get his house in order because the illness that he faces at this time is going to kill him. And what we see in the story of Hezekiah is that he turns to the Lord, he prays, and he weeps. So we read these words in 2 Kings 20. Hezekiah wept profusely. And even before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I've heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I'm going to heal you. And on the third day, you should go up to the house of the Lord. Does it mean every time we cry out to the Lord, he is going to do what we think he should do? The answer is, of course, no, because he is God and we are not. He sees in a different way to us. He sees the full picture where we only see in parts. But more than just seeing and hearing our cries... What we see from Psalm 56 and verse 8 is that he actually stores our tears. We read this, You have taken account of my miseries. You've put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? What does that mean? Does it mean that God has this kind of infinite shelf in heaven where every tear that we cried is in a bottle and he's got all these bottles collected up? No, it doesn't. What David is talking about here is that God remembers us. He knows what hurts us. He's totally aware of our suffering and what we go through. He keeps track of our sorrows. And not one tear that we cry goes unnoticed by God. And here's the amazing thing. One day, the God who hears our cries promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes. We read this in Revelation 21 and verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. Ultimately, there will be a glorious day where we feel the hand of God wiping our tears away, every tear that we have cried, and they will be no more. But until that day, the God whom you can have an encounter with today sees And he hears your cries and your pain and what you are going through in life. But even more than that, our scripture tells us today that he is cares. So verse 7 again says, I am concerned about their suffering. It's easy, isn't it? At times to look at our circumstances in our lives, to look at what we might be going through and what is going on in this world at the moment and ask the question, does God really care? It's easy to think about the things that we've already thought about this morning, war and suffering and oppression and injustice, and, and allow our faith to be shaken in God. Corrie ten Boom, who was a Christian watchmaker and who sheltered Jews in World War II and eventually ended up and was caught and ended up in a concentration camp, wrote this. Often... I have heard people say, how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic. And look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God is also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. I remember one occasion when I was very discouraged there. Everything around us was dark. And there was darkness in my heart. 
I remember telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corrie, said Betsy. He's not forgotten us. Remember his words. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. Corrie concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt his victorious love, whatever the circumstances. Here's the thing. No matter what is going on in life right now, no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter what the situations and circumstances we might face, the God with whom you can have an encounter with today cares for you. The Bible tells us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. He cares for the lilies of the field and the birds in the air, so how much more would he care for us? If God feels far away today, if it feels like your faith is shaken today, do what James did and deliberately and actively draw close to him, for he cares for you. Finally, what we learn about the God of the encounter today is that God sends. So verse 10. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Ultimately, church, we have this privilege. This almighty God who knows us intimately today is calling you by name twice, just as he did to Moses that the holy grounds that we come to is not a place, but we are made holy ground because of the Holy Spirit living within us. And what we learn about the encounter that we can have with God today is that he sees what we go through, he hears our cries, and he cares for us. But here's the thing, an intimate encounter with God is the start line and not the finish line. Because we are not saved to sit, we are saved to serve. God sees the plight of the homeless in Plymouth. God hears the cries of every single parent who feels like life is too much for them right now. God hears and sees the injustice that is happening right across this city, even as we sit in this place and beyond. And you know what he says? Hey, Hope Baptist Church, Hope Baptist Church, I'm sending you to go and be the change makers. You're the ones that I am sending to make a difference. You are going to be the ones who shine the light of Christ in the dark places. You're going to be my hands and my feet. You're going to be the ones to tell people there's another way that they can live. I was hoping for a bit of an amen at that point. <laughs> Moses came up with all kinds of excuses, didn't he? As to why this couldn't happen. And in many respects, I think if I was in Moses' position, I would have done exactly the same thing. After all, he was being asked to go to the superpower of the day and tell them to let their entire slave workforce go free. So he came up with his excuses. But we do exactly the same, don't we? God, I haven't got the time. I need to get my work-life balance in order. I don't have the resources for all of this. What you're saying, God, sounds great, but I'm not really sure it's for me. Today, the God of the encounter wants to know that he has plans for your life. He wants to use you in ways which could literally transform our city and beyond. 
The question is, church, are we up for it? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Zoe to come and lead us in response. And then we're just going to wait on the Lord and see what he does in our midst today. Let's be open to meeting in these last few minutes that we have together with God and hearing his voice this morning. Let's pray together, church. Father God, forgive us for the times where we choose ritual over relationship. Forgive us for the times where we just go through the motions because, hey, it's what we always do. And as we proclaimed at the beginning, how great is our God. May we meet with you right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Encourage our hearts. Spur us on. Help us to live the life that we're called to live. And when we hear your voice telling us to go, may we do it gladly. In Jesus' name, amen.